On this week's episode of Movie Hilo, we're talking orange sweatshirts, the frozen Charles, and Mama Carrie's kid. It's all on par with a night of heavy drinking. This is Michelle Gondry's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I had to set up a wireless printer tonight. That's always you know. a pain in the ass. That's like literally sure like the listeners might understand that. It's a fate worse than death. It's it's probably in like Dante's seven circles of hell. That's that's what I think hell is now. I think hell is setting up printers for all of eternity. <laughs> basically. It's just it's that level of You know what you should do? I just figured out what you should do with the old printer. Remember I was asking you earlier? What? What should I, I do? I think with you it? figured out what it is. What? Set it on fire? Close. Should we do the office space yes, thing? Where we just exactly like, what I was thinking. Take a bat to it. If you could find that axe anywhere, we could take the axe to it. That'd be oh, fun. Oh, that'd be fun. I would love to smash. We have a backyard. We could totally smash things or smash a printer or like or like set things on fire. And then we fire. could we could name our band Smashing Printers. Smashing Printers. I think we'd sell some records. I'm glad of recording that. Yeah. Um. So hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Movie Hilo, a podcast discussing welcome. the best in. Why do you always do that? I don't know because I feel like I need to say something too. Okay, I'm Dom. And this is Dee. And we are on our fifth episode ever of Movie Hilo. I feel like this is a... Um, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> really has. I didn't think we'd make it this far. From sinus infection to sinus infection. It's literally, it's just one It's one night of feeling like shit to another night of feeling I like shit. I still sound not 100% unstuffy, but it's is, pretty fucking crazy. Is the problem with living in New England is that it's just, especially in the winters, you just kind of basically are mitigating the amount of garbage that you feel like on a day-to-day basis. Kind of. The cold, the dry skin, the achy joints. It's no fun. All of it. This, I don't Getting understand. Getting up early, it's dark out, it's frigid, it's just, it's like death. It's like the universe is telling you, no, stay home in your house where it's nice and warm and you can keep sleeping because it's still dark out and freezing. Like, just nothing about the world is inviting you into it. It's like, no, just stay the fuck home. Yeah. And you can't. Yeah. You got to get your ass up. Sun's coming up. And come home after the sun goes down. Makes you wonder why anyone wants to live here at all, ever. Well, it is beautiful. It can be. For like two months out of the year, it's it's gorgeous. Unless you're slamming into mailboxes. Unless you're slamming into mailboxes. Jesus Christ. I slammed into a mailbox. But let's not get into that because the insurance is still going to be, I'm sure, pending at this point to find out whether or not. Unless you have your car back. That's I nice. do. It's nice. Nice being mobile again. I think it's. I think that's one of the the things. Time to you, go mobile. It's time to go mobile. This week, can now that we've been talking about uh, cold, uh, shitty New England weather, it also seems appropriate. Kind of makes you want to go and lay down on your back and stare up at the sky at the Charles River. It sure does. On the frozen ice. And tell me the constellations you know. Yeah, Osidius emphatic. Oh, cross and a swoop. Shut that fuck up. Um, so we are doing, for this episode, we're doing um, actually a personal favorite of both of ours. The movie uh, this week is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, directed by Michelle Gondry, released on March 19th, 2004. It is a high episode. Says who? Well, the folks at IMDb have given it an 8.3, which puts it in the top 100 IMDb movies at actually number 94. Uh, it's got a 93% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It was nominated for two Oscars uh, and won one. It was nominated for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role with Kate Winslet and won the Oscar for Best Screenplay by Charlie Kaufman and is just on dozens and dozens of Best of the Decade lists. I would defy you to find a Best of the Decade list that this movie is not on mm-hmm. because it's very well 
revered and loved by many people, including ourselves. And rightfully so. Um, it's kind of crazy thinking about the fact that in a month from now, it's going to be 15 years old. I think you mean 16 years old. If it was 2004 and it's 2020. Holy shit, Wouldn't that be right. 16 years? Yeah, you're right. Can't do math anymore. I'm mistaken. 16 years you old. You thinking it's 2019 still? I think I wish it was still 2019, mm. to be honest. The thing about this movie is that what it feels like to me is that if you've ever been in a long-term relationship with somebody, there's at least one scene, if not multiple scenes in this movie, that are going to feel like pages out of your own life. Mm. I think that's I think that's one of the cool things about this movie is that it is... Um, it's, it's a heightened reality, but at the same time, it feels very true to life. It feels very lived in. And especially if you are, um, you know, if you're someone who's ever been in love. I think I think there's a lot of stuff in here. The thing that's crazy, the thing that sucks about romantic comedies, and not that I would couch this as a romantic comedy, but most romantic comedies or even like romantic dramas are really like they they invent movie problems. You know what I mean? Like they don't they don't deal with like real life problems. They just kind of invent mm-hmm. movie problems. I remember seeing this movie for the first time and being like, okay, here's a movie that actually deals with relationships in a really honest yes. way. So it was kind of refreshing. I feel like I feel like since this movie, there's been a lot of movies that have done that. Like yes. Blue Valentine is a great example. Um, there's I another... think I made a couple notes too about how the movies have taken from this movie since yeah. then. It was refreshing the first time seeing this and even now, 16 years later, that it holds up really feeling like it's about real people and real relationships, which is really nice. All right, let me do a quick synopsis of the film for anyone who's not seen the movie. Joel Barish, a meek and helplessly introverted guy, has fallen deeply in love with his almost completely opposite counterpart in the form of Clementine Krajinski, a beautiful... it's Krajinski. Do you want me to read it? Joel Barish, a meek and helplessly introverted guy, has fallen deeply in love with his almost completely opposite counterpart in the form of Clementine Krasinski. A beautiful... Am I not saying it right? Krasinski. You read it. Joel Barish, a meek and helplessly introverted guy, has fallen deeply in love with his almost completely opposite counterpart in the form of Clementine Krasinski, a beautiful and vivacious hair-dyed extrovert. However, after several years of flea market fights and leaving body hair on the goddamn soap... Their relationship has begun to disintegrate. During an extended breakup, Joel learns of a legitimate procedure that Clementine has had, which has completely erased all of her memory of their history together. Unable to cope with now becoming nothing more than a stranger to Clementine, Joel enlists the help of Lacuna Inc. and elects to undergo the same procedure. But through the course of remaining mentally conscious while each and every moment spent with the love of his life is eradicated from his mind, Joel will come to painstaking realization that even if you can erase someone from your head, you can never erase them from your heart. Wow, that's very nice, but very long. Yeah, but I mean, before we jump into all of our highs and lows here, I just I would just say that this is probably in my top top five favorite movies of all time. Yeah, probably right around up there for me too. And it's this is kind of like a tradition that you and I have as we watch this, like pretty much right around every Valentine's Day. Yeah. The first thing that I I love about the movie, and I mean, it's from having seen it so many times. If it was the first time having seen it, you probably wouldn't necessarily feel the same way about the opening scene. But when it's a movie that's a favorite and beloved and rewatched many times, the first scene is particularly poignant because you know why he's doing all the things he's doing, why he's taking this train to Montauk. Like he called into work. He doesn't really know why he's not an impulsive person, but you know who is and there's there's so much that like you understand from having seen it and especially on repeat viewings and even more 
on repeat viewings, not just a single more viewing, but like multiple viewings, you continue to gain more and more from it. So I really like the opening scene for that reason. And it's it's almost like it's for the fans of the movie that Michelle Gondry must have known that he was going to be able to garner from it. Like, what's well, you know, it's funny you said that because it's like the first note that I wrote down was the nonlinear structure as a as a as a um, as a high mm-hmm. and and what I wrote was that but it like, works for but the idea of the movie is totally of course well and and the thing that racing I racing memories and then and that's the thing is that the opening teaser like the like the like the first ten minutes of this movie essentially happens before the opening title. Um, so it's kind of like a teaser and it's like the first 10 minutes of the movie confuses you in a good way. It's one of those things where even when you're when you're watching like what you're saying when you're rewatching this movie, all of a sudden you're catching a lot of different things that are happening in that opening scene that you're only aware of on a rewatch. Like when he first wakes mm-hmm. up and you hear the car pulling away. Right. You and know, you know that, who that, that that's, is. It's yeah. Mark Ruffalo and when he, and when he sees his car's all damaged and he, yeah. and he thinks that the guy next to him hit him and he yeah. writes the note that says, thank you. Yeah. And it's like, you know that it's Clementine, Clementine who right. fucked his car up. Yeah. So Kinda, it's kind of sort of wrecked your car. <laughs> it's like all that stuff is, is great on a rewatch because of how layered it is. But even the first time you watch it, it's confusing, but in a good way, because you're not quite sure where you are in the story, you know, all of that stuff happens in the first 10 minutes of the movie and then it cuts to him when it finally does the opening credits it cuts to him in his car crying mm-hmm. and you're like what the hell right all what happened that, yeah. and then all of a sudden as you start to go through that narrative you're like oh this is this this is before this isn't like you you, you, realize, almost, yeah. you almost kind of forget the opening part of the movie because it's so out of context and out of yeah. uh, out of not it's just not linear um, but I think the movie does that effectively because there are some movies that it's not linear and I do get confused and I don't know, I guess I'd be embarrassed to cite examples of which movies and be like, you know, wow, you don't get it or something. But like no. sometimes I do get confused with the chronology of movies when they're done out of sequence like that. But this movie doesn't confuse me. Like it makes sense why and how he's doing it. And he gives just the right amount of clues and flavors and nuances throughout to understand when they come into play later oh that played into this and this is why that happened and oh I, like it all makes sense yeah. it's there's, not confusing there's a thing there's a thing it's called there's a thing called planting and payoff in, yeah. in script writing and the idea is that you're going to you're going to plant something here that that the audience is going to remember so that when something happens later that pays off so at the beginning of this movie to your point the beginning of the movie like when when he after they do the the night on the charles and he comes back and he drops her off at the house and she's like oh can i come to your house to sleep let me go get my toothbrush and he's sitting outside in the car and all of a sudden elijah wood starts knocking on the window and he's like hi can i help you what are you doing here that whole scene like you're as you're watching it you're like what what the fuck is happening in this Mm -hmm. scene like this doesn't make any sense but you know that this is going to pay off at some point that they they want the scene to feel out of context and out of place because it's going because, to pay but, off but later. But you know what else? Not even just because of that, because also that's what it feels like to Joel's character. Right. He doesn't know who he is. Yeah. He doesn't understand. Yeah. You know? It's true. Like even the whole thing when, when you see um, Elijah Wood's character trying to court Kate Winslet, if you will, like she falls for it a little bit first, but she's getting, you can tell she's getting kind of signals that something's not right about this. Oh, I never met a, a guy that gave me a piece of jewelry. Like she seems skeptical, like happy, but certainly skeptical, like looks at him kind of like, I'm on to you. Something's fucked up. And then they get out to the Charles and he says the line, like literally rips it from her journal or whatever about, you know, I'm so, ha- I, I could just die right now. Cause I'm so happy. Like I want to go home. Like 
She's not falling for it. Something's telling her that this isn't right. I mean, that's also a big part of why it's being done that way is because this is what it feels like for the characters because at one point it all would have made sense, but they erased each other and now so much doesn't make sense. So it feels like that to us, but more importantly, it feels like that to them and that's why stylistically it's done that way too, I think. So I would say, I don't know I don't know if you agree, but I would say that that for sure... Um, one of the big highs of the of the movie are the leading performances from Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely, they have they have just like a really, they have a really really natural. It helps when you already love them to begin with. I love both of those actors independently. For their own in, ways. Independently, both for their of them reasons. are amazing. I mean, obviously, you're a huge Titanic fan, and Kate Winslet. But became, I love her in other roles. Too. Yeah, she was great in like Heavenly Creatures, and but I I don't know if you I don't I wasn't really aware of her, honestly. She, she was in Hideous Kinky. She yeah. was in Quills. She was in Pride and Prejudice. Lots of period pieces. Right. I love Jim Carrey, obviously, since like Ace Ventura. Well, who does? Yeah. Growing up and The Mask, and I mean, and what and part of what's awesome liar, about Liar, aside from the fact that they the two of them just have like a very very natural chemistry, part of what makes the performances so great between the two of them is that they're playing so opposite of their type. Right. You know, Jim Carrey... playing each other in some way. Yeah, Jim Carrey's very much playing, you know, a very reserved and quiet and introverted, which is not what we expect from a Jim Carrey right. performance. The same way that Kate Winslet, who's usually, usually very buttoned up and, and more... Yeah, exactly. You think of rude and uncouth, and you think of all that shit, and you don't picture her being kind of like the spunky, wild, I got the crazy hair, and, and, and like super, super extroverted. Um, but like really magnetic, you know? So it's really fun watching the two of them play against type and then have this really, really natural chemistry together. And they feel like they're a real couple. That's the other thing is that I totally buy them watching this movie as like, mm-hmm. this is what... Well, opposites attract. Yeah. I did write down too, it's close to that scene with highs. I like that when she punches... There's, there's lots of moments in the movie that are just cute and charming and funny, but like... You know, she's like, when she punches him on the arm after meeting, when he goes, ah, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Take care then. Oh, hey. Take care then. Jesus. The supporting performances are like almost as important as the leading performances in the movie because, you know, all of the supporting cast, um, Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, Tom Wilkinson, and then even all the way down to like David Cross and, um, oh, what's her name? He plays um, Jane Adams. Mm-hmm. They play the friends of Joel mm. and they just I know and I think you'd even said it when we watched it just again this last time you're like they're not even in the movie for more combined than like five minutes and you know they're like super memorable characters right you know mama Carrie's kid it's like it's so this isn't about Archie you gonna be this about Archie <laughs> yeah. now and she keeps up every time he's like you got a joint oh god, god Rob give it a rest you know I'm building a birdhouse yeah. it's like they're they're totally real characters yeah. you know and and yeah, they, they're barely in the movie, but it's like you, they're so memorable because they really feel like real people. Like everyone in this movie, right down to fucking Frank, the guy who lives in Joel's apartment, who's just like, hey, you know, I have a Mickey D. Yeah, Mickey Mick Romance. Yeah. You know, it's like that that guy, every, like people know that guy. People like who've lived in an apartment, like, I have to go to sleep now, Frank. Like, can you fuck off? It's, 30. it's you know. That's I think it's such a great thing about about the one the other high that I have and this leads right into it is the screenplay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Charlie Kaufman has written a lot of written a lot of screenplays that have gotten a lot of you know being John Malkovich adaptation like he's very well known for being just this great prophetic writer. But um, as far as I'm concerned, this is his best screenplay because it's the most heartfelt and also 
what I really love about his screenplay is this very, very careful, careful attention to detail. Um, you know, there's a couple of things, and then like when we were talking about earlier, where it's like you kind of catch things on a rewatch. Mm. Um, you know, he's got a couple of really big ideas that I think are are so interesting. Like the beginning of the movie, when 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 we think Joel and Clementine are meeting for the first time. Obviously, this is them meeting. Um, after the procedures happen, we learn later in the movie, but when we think that they're meeting for the first time, um, she says, oh, my name's Clementine. No jokes about my name. And he's like, I, I don't know any jokes about your name. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Huckleberry Hound? You know, what are you, insane? And, he's, and she's singing the song, Oh, my darling. Oh, my he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know yes. that. But when you watch the movie and you realize that when they actually meet for the first time, which happens much later in the film. Of course he knew. When he right. says, no, when, he, when she says... Um, no, you know, jokes, jokes about my, my name. name. He knows. And he know. goes, oh, what, like Huckleberry Hound? Yeah. And he says, he specifically says to her, he goes, you know, my, my Huckleberry Hound doll was my favorite thing when I was a, right. when I was a child. Like, right. y- I think your name is magical. When you go back and you watch how he has to come up with the idea to take her and put her into memories that she didn't exist in. At one point, he puts her in a memory when he's a, when he's a child. In the bath. And he's in the, the bath, sink. and that's what his mom is singing to him. His mom is singing, oh, my darling, oh, my Getting darling. Getting in the sink as your baby. But, when, but because he puts her in that memory, the Lacuna guys are able to target it and destroy right. it. Right. So therefore, later it. on, he would not remember Huckleberry Hound or, right. or that song. And it's like that's such a careful attention to detail to thread that through the narrative to be able to say like, okay, we're going to at the beginning of the movie after it's happened, he doesn't remember the song. And then later on, like when he first meets her, he does know the song and then we'll put that into one of the memories that gets erased. So you like understand how that happened. That's a brilliant like yeah. people who are writing a script would it's hard to keep that that amount of detail but in your mind. There was that much amount of care put into it. So, of course, yeah. There's another great scene that I think is, again, it's just one of those amazing um, little minor, minor details that's so easy to miss. But when you watch it repeated, if you've seen it a few times, it, it like stands out. Um, so I got to kind of go off topic to make my point here for a second. But there's a movie, I don't know if you remember the movie Solaris with mm-hmm. George Clooney. Uh, it was actually a remake of like a 70s sci-fi movie. I think it was like a Swedish film. Clooney is a guy who uh, his wife has committed suicide and he's never gotten over it. And then they want to send him up to this space station where this spaceship is orbiting this planet and they won't, the spaceship won't come back home. And he has to try and go up there and find out why. And when he gets there, what happens is his dead wife shows up and he freaks out and he locks her in an airlock and sends her out to space. But she shows up again later. And what he realizes is that the planet will manifest whatever your why desire you is because he, because he freaked out because he didn't why know would he, try to hang on to her? he be, but, but he does after he does after he doesn't it freaks him out he doesn't know what the hell it is is it a ghost like he doesn't even know what it is long story short at one point the wife she realizes what she is at one point and she says to him she's like all the time i feel nervous and afraid and alone and scared and i don't know why and it's not because i really am feeling any of those things it's because i'm a projection of your memory of me. I was suicidal. I killed myself. You remember me this way, and therefore that's what I feel. So where I'm trying to go with this is that at one point in the script, when when you're in Jim Carrey's memories, when you're in Joel's memories, he encounters Mirzwiak, and he's saying he's explaining to Mirzwiak like, "Oh my God, am I in my memory?" And he's like, "Yeah, this is this is what it would look like." And he's like, "You have to help me." And he's like, "How can I help you? I'm 
I'm in your memory. I'm you. You know, so when you start to think about it, when you see Clementine in the second act of this movie, when it's the middle of the movie and it's all in Joel's head mm-hmm. and it's all his memories, that's not really Clementine. Like it's it's his memory of Clementine, right. but it's not really Clementine. Right. So at one point in the movie, when they're walking through the when they're walking in the woods, like on the fall day. And he's explaining what's happening. And she's going like, well, why don't you wake yourself up? And you know like, me, I'm impulsive. Right. When she says that, when she goes, you it's know him. me, I'm impulsive. When she's yeah. saying it almost like patronizingly, it's because it's him, his, his him being like, this is how I would behave. I'm Clementine. Uh-huh. And it's like, it's, it's a minor, simple thing, but it is so indicative of great writing mm-hmm. of like being able to say, okay, when we're in his memories, it has to be portrayed this way because Clementine is really him. He does a similar thing in uh, being John Malkovich. Like when Malkovich goes into his own head and everyone is Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. It's like he he has these weirdo kind of crazy ideas, but um, I don't know. It's I, I just think that's really cool. It is, definitely. And, you know, it couldn't be done effectively if you didn't have great actors, too. Yeah. To pull it off. All right, well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and wrap up and do some more highs and some more lows. Rob, what are you doing? Well, what's your fucking suggestion, Carrie? What's your brilliant reason solution? Oh, you're going to make this about our shit now? This isn't about us. I agree. It's not about us. It's about Joel, who's an adult, okay? Not Mama Carrie's kid. Hello. So what do you think are some of the, the great scenes in the movie? I mean, there's so many. There's too many to count. I really like um, how they suffocate each other with the pillows and it's like, you know, it's like it turns into she thinks like she actually killed him for a second. Like what? Or like, you know, he's unconscious like and then he wakes up. She's like, oh, God, that was terrible. And it's like, OK, one more than I get to go. It's like it's cute. It's like that's that's one of the ways they pass the time together. <laughs> like just pretending to kill each other. It's like little things. idiosyncratic things like right. that. that oh, are like God, re- that was terrible. Realistic. Like that's really like couples just being stupid and yeah. being bored and like the I shit I mean, but there's do. so many great scenes in this movie or like scenes that are just charming. I love the um uh the the flea market scene, the flea yeah. market memory. They would just go find you an antique rocking chair to die. <laughs> Cuz it's like it's such it's such a real life um argument, relationship argument. You know where she says something about like, "Oh, I want to have a baby." And he's like, "Do you really think you could take care of it?" Like he just says the wrong thing uh-huh. that immediately triggers her. Right. To, to or when start. he says she's constantly talking, and the, I'm not constantly yeah. talking. Like people have to share things, Joel. Yeah. Intimacy is. And he can't. And God, like, I'm really pissed that you said But this. I love, I love the, like she starts. She's not afraid to make a scene. She's not afraid to start yelling at him. And he's like literally putting his hands up, like oh, I don't want to talk about this. Like he just does. Like, can you please just not make a scene right now, right yeah. here? Can we just talk about this in private later? Mm-hmm. I know I said the wrong thing. Like, does this have to happen right, right. now? Yeah, and well, she doesn't give a shit. I know. And I, and I wouldn't give a shit either. Because it's I like, know. you you fucking I said, you I know, exactly. I'm just saying, you're going to start saying some shit and then I'm supposed to just be cool? Like, no. But he didn't mean no. to. He didn't it mean did, to say It doesn't matter. You, you said it. And I love um, just the visual thing that Michelle Gondry does there when he puts up this, like, he puts up, like, literally, like, as a practical effect as Joel's walking away, he puts up the, um, it's like a glass that's like been frosted. And then, and then he starts slowing down. So she's slowing down and he's like in normal speed. Michelle Gondry does a great, every scene where they're eradicating the memories, he does a great thing where he finds a new or unique way 
to kind of dissolve to show that this that the, the degradation is, is breaking the degradation, down. Yeah, the degradation yeah, yeah yeah it's really interesting how he does like every scene has its own interesting way of and like it almost seems to like get down. i guess kind of worse as the movie progresses yeah. or like the flipped inverted facial features of Patrick when he's dropping the papers on the ground. Which is so cool because if you think about it, Joel never really saw him. If he never really saw his face, he wouldn't have it in his memory to remember. So it's going to be some weird distorted version of what Patrick looks like because he never really saw him. when she's storming away from him, she's walking away and she really has one leg. One leg, which is so weird. I never saw that until... I think they pointed it out in the commentary. I don't think I'd ever seen that until you they wouldn't notice it unless out. you were looking. It's right? so hard to catch that. But even that, like the the, the car falls falling. from the sky, and then like all of the storefronts are dissolving. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in this he's in this loop where he can't. No matter which side of the frame he goes to, he can't get out of the out of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love the way that the movie works its way backwards. So it's like, so can we talk about the the actual? Um, um, "Quote unquote science of what Lacuna is doing because I really think this is kind of interesting the way that they try to make it seem like it's a real procedure, you know, mm-hmm. like Lacuna. It itself, seems like it could be Lacuna. Itself, I bet there is a sort of procedure that's kind of like this. It, it doesn't seem that far fetched an idea that it could actually be a medical procedure to well, exist. And also the way that they they put like this weird kind of helmet cat scan thing on his head mm-hmm. and they basically tell him like they take all the objects that remind you of her into mm-hmm. this room and they show it to him and he starts to explain, oh I right. got that at a bubble and they're like, no 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 don't say anything. We'll get a better reaction if you just better read. Yeah. We'll get a better read if you just react to it mentally. And you see what they're doing is that they're seeing on that helmet where the neurons are firing off in his brain. So it's like, okay, at this coordinate, when he sees this um, potato, you know, or, or this bracelet that he bought her, or this picture that he drew of her, this is in the coordinate in his head of where the brain activity is firing off. So that's where we have to burn a hole into it. And that's how we'll get rid of that memory. So it almost like seems like, even though it's obviously not real, it almost kind of sets it in this kind of weird context. It feels like it could be real. It feels like it could be real. It feels like they could kind of perfect yeah. a, a procedure like that. And I love, too, that Lacuna itself, the facility, it seems so low-tech. Like, they're using that old printer to print out those shitty cards. Yeah, it's like one know. of the dentists. But but you know what I mean? Like, like like you would think this would be like a high, like, um, state-of-the-art institute, and they get there, and it's just kind of like there's a little... <clears throat> You know, receptionist sitting there using like one of those old yeah. printers that uses like the the printing paper that has like the little yeah holes I know in the, the things side. you get at the auto body you know get so it just it just has this kind of cool lo-fi vibe to it even though it's supposed to be this real um, high tech procedure um, I I also think it's really cool once the movie gets into the memories, which is, I think, the most important part of the whole film and the best part of the film, that it it naturally works its way backwards, right? So the first thing that we erase in Joel's brain are the memories, first of all, of him going to Lacuna. Like right. Those are the things it works that, its way backwards when he first meets her, exactly. Right. So you have to get rid of those first memories of him even going to Lacuna. And then uh, once it's revealed, like once it's the shot that pulls off of the bed and it shows Patrick and, and Mark Ruffalo in the room mm-hmm. actually doing the erasing, um, all the memories that go backwards from there are, this is the last time that I saw you. It's him, like the literal breakup scene with them and it works its way backwards. And I love that that breakup scene when she comes home. I kind of sort of wrecked your car, that mm-hmm. whole thing. Because I think it's just... What, I think you there's, a wino? There's just... <laughs> Yeah, do it. I love that. <laughs> what are you from the fifties or something? A wino? 
Okay. He um he there's this there's this great moment that I really feel like any guy who's being honest with himself knows this moment exactly. I mean, not even any guy, anyone who's been in a relationship and and has been like loose lipped or or um or let your anger get or, the best or, or, you. or you or you or you just talk before you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, anyone who has that problem, like I'm one of those people, I have that problem. I speak way faster than my brain can catch up to. But there's this great moment where she does the whole thing where she says, you know, oh, you know, you're mad because I was out all night and your wormy little brain, you think I fucked someone. And he goes, there's no clum. Did you fuck yourself? Yeah, Did yeah. Fuck and he goes, no clum. I assume you fucked someone. Isn't that how you get people, people to like, like you? Mm-hmm. And immediately she gets up and he's like kind of chasing after right. her. And I really think that that's one of those moments where if you're being honest with yourself, like <clears throat> in a relationship, you've had that moment where the words aren't even halfway out of your mouth and, and you're, you're like, oh, it. shit. Yeah, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Fuck. You know, you know, like, no, I didn't mean, like, I didn't mean that or I shouldn't have said that right. or, so I think that's like such a real human moment. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. Um, and even though he's chasing around, he's going, I didn't mean it. You almost wonder, is that him in the actual scene? Like what actually happened then, him saying that? Or is it him now in the memory conscious of what happens next trying to correct it um i feel like either way it, it, it still rings it's true, true to life yeah yes. um and in the in the way that the that the movie works its way backwards through his memory you know you go through all of the of the end of the relationship towards the middle of the relationship back towards the beginning of the relationship so it starts with the, the worst memories and all the like the saddest things but it works its way back into them being in love right so well, I mean, and, and how can you forget too? Like just the beautiful sentiment of the idea that you can erase each other, and this is one of the most romantic things about the movie is that you could erase somebody, but not truly. Like you'd still find them, right? Meet me and mom. Well, that you know, like even they still found each other, right? You and know? she and it's she like, that's beautiful. It is beautiful, and also all of the scenes that are happening concurrently with you know when you're watching the storyline of of Joel getting his memories erased, you're also watching the storyline of Patrick, who is trying to. Um, you know, I don't know what's the right word, like compel her or persuade her Woo to her. Yeah. And he's, and he's using all of he's Joel's, he's using all of Joel's fucking shit right. to try and win her over. Mm-hmm. And she intrinsically knows that something is false about it. She mm-hmm. like, and Kate right. Winslet, the whole, the whole, all of those scenes is so upset and can't put her finger on why she's upset. And it's because Getting old, my skin is falling yeah, off. Yeah, but she knows something's missing. Even though she can't remember what's missing, like she can feel the absence of right. Joel in her yeah, life. Right. And or what about even when you see, like when they do meet up again for the first time when it's not really the first time, it's like two blue ruins and whatever, and, or blue moons, whatever she says. And she's so eager to like jump goes, back into that relationship. He goes, I, have, I feel like I have nothing to talk about. You should see my journal. It's just blank. Like, of course it's blank because you had to rip all the pages out that anything to do with it. Like, but that's part of why she feels old and her skin's falling off and what he's saying, my life is just sad and my journals are blank. Like Because it would seem to both of you at this point as as though the past however many years hasn't even, like nothing's happened because everything important has been erased. So why wouldn't you feel that? Of course you would. Or just or just the realization, or not even the realization because they haven't had this realization yet, but the, 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 the reality of the fact that if you were... If you were physically able to erase somebody from your memory, you would still be erasing an enormous part of yourself. Of course. And Everything. That's, and that's the world what, revolves around each other. Yeah. Like, it would be like, 
amnesia or something like I mean you just wake up one day and it's like the past couple of years like what have I been doing or where where have I been it would it's super be sad like, yeah the more you of watch of course you'd be depressed and melancholy and you know out of sorts and you should see my journal my life is just sad it's blank and I'm old and my skin's falling off and why wouldn't you feel hopeless and awful like that because you feel like I I haven't been doing anything the past couple of years I've just what have I been asleep or something like yeah. that's a really scary thought yeah why wouldn't you feel that way? but also I mean you realize that like yeah that's 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 a big part of what what she's saying to him at one point where she's like this is what intimacy is it's like sharing things mm-hmm. and that's another scene where he puts his foot in his mouth yeah. you know yeah it's like and, you, and I like how the the cello like kicks in like yeah. when he rebuff when she rebuffs him and they do a similar thing in the flea market scene yeah. where she she starts going out of sync like that's how that that yeah. memory starts to degrade is that she's like you know why don't you sh- what's what are you writing those stupid journals of yours blah 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 and she's completely out of sync as she's talking to him mm-hmm. um and the cello is like it's like winding down the memory Slides, yeah. you know i i there's there's so much a lot of times and this again this is just kind of dorky screenwriter shit but like the second act of a movie is really where a movie starts to fall apart because it's usually where the movie starts to get long or loses focus or, you know, the most amount of trimming can be done or the most amount of editing really can be done. People usually know how they want to start and how they want to land, uh, but the middle is where it kind of gets kind of slushy. Right. And this movie, like the middle of the movie, is really where the movie shines. It's mm-hmm. in the memories that you know, once you realize, like that's all we it's are. Because it was also well thought out. Yeah, yeah, and it's and and well executed, and um, you know, it's a great blending of Gondry being a great visual stylist and Kaufman being a great screenwriter and great actors and great actors who completely know how to interpret the material and do it and bring it to that next level in a level. very fresh way. Yeah, but other, I mean, other great scenes. I would just say. Um, the there's there's one scene where they so there's a turning point in the movie there's I think there's two scenes that happen in the movie where it becomes like a turning point so we're going through all of Joel's memories all the bad memories that he's so happy to have erased you know I don't want to remember the last time I saw her I don't want to remember this stupid fight that we have but then we get to this point where she's telling him the story about how She's like, I have this doll. Like, I'm, I, when I was a kid, I had this doll that I, named, doll that I named Clementine, like, I named after herself. Mm-hmm. And I yell at it and I tell it to be pretty. And it's this moment where, you know, the whole movie, Joel is really the very kind of passive character um, who kind of needs Clementine. Clementine mm-hmm. kind of like is the fuel to and his fire. And here's this moment where she's really vulnerable to him. And it's the one moment or the one memory that he has where he had to really be there for her. Mm-hmm. And that's when he's like crawling under the covers and he's going, Mayor's react, please let me just keep this one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, it's, and this is like the turning point in the movie where he's starting to realize as they're working their way backwards, like, oh shit, like I'm going to lose this. I'm not going to remember this. This was so important to me. And then they get to the Well, it's actual, like he regrets it too. Like, you, I, I, I want to call this off. It's like, well, that's when he gets to the Charles. It goes back to that age old quote. It's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved right. at all. Like, wouldn't you rather live with the pain and the memories and know that you lived a right. life worth, you know, living and loving in versus like, I, I just, it's so painful to remember that I have to just forget it all. I mean, 
wouldn't you rather live with the pain? Because there's beauty in the memories. Because too. the pain, I mean, the pain is what makes you real. Because the pain is what makes anything real. Like the, you know, it's so. It's 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 a funny moment. Like it's kind of funny, but it's really one of the saddest moments in the movie. And it's just a throwaway moment. Is when he goes in for the procedure and he's sitting next to the woman who's crying and she's holding dog. her dog's um, bowl. That says like Bruno, whatever it says on like, and she, it's like she misses her dog so much that she would rather erase the memory of her mm-hmm. dog than remember that she had this beautiful dog that she loved that meant so much to her. And it's like, if you think about that for a second, it is, isn't that, isn't that fucking sad? Right. Like, wouldn't you, isn't the pain of that better? I feel like I'd rather hang on to it even right. if it's painful than well, just let it all go. That's the moral of the story, really. How would that, that even truly make it easier to live? I mean, I, I don't know. It's not like you're truly setting the reset button. Like you still have many of your, your years of your life that you've spent. It's not like you just get to reset yeah. the clock. Yeah, but that's just gone. It's just absent. So why would you really want to do that? I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, the the other scene that you were talking about though is that once he once they actually get back to the first Charles scene, so we see the the repeat Charles scene like in the opening teaser when that happens again, where they intrinsically know they want to relive that moment together. Um, but there's that there's that. The original scene where he you know where Patrick is stealing all of the lines that he says oh I'm just happy mm-hmm. and that's the moment where Joel when he realizes that this is go- all going to go away is when he's trying to stop it and he's going I, I want to call it off and he's freaking out and it's the whole scene where now instead of them being on the Charles River they're like in Penn Station or uh, Grand Central Station Grand Central Station mm-hmm. and she gets sucked away and then he pulls her back and is like okay I'm going to hide you somewhere else in my head Mm -hmm. and that's another a brilliant brilliant like concept of can i take something that doesn't belong here and and hide it here so that they won't be able to find her and even even this part of the the science to it is that okay so now they've created this map of his head where they're going to burn all these holes in his brain so that he doesn't remember these moments in his life but now he takes Clementine and he puts her in, in memories that she doesn't exist in, right? Row, row, row your boat. Right, humiliation. Humiliation, humiliation, all of that stuff. But he puts her in all these moments that they don't belong in. And then it makes sense that, you know, um, when Mirzwiak shows up and is like, okay, well, let's just look at what's firing off in his head at that moment. You know what I mean? Like, where's the brain activity happening right now? Oh, okay, that, this coordinate, this coordinate wasn't plotted, but... This is the coordinate where brain activity is happening right now. Let's just fry it and it's gone. Right. And that's why he's losing all of these other memories that have nothing to do with her. He's not going to remember row, row, row your boats. He's not going to remember um, the moment where uh, his friends make him kill the bird, the bird which yeah. is a great scene too. That's yeah. such a sad scene. Mm-hmm. That's like a real, of course it is. you know, like you getting, you got to not be I'm a pussy like in front of your friends. Get hurt. Of course not. Of course not. Um, I don't know. There's so many. There's so many great scenes in the movie. Um, I love the you know once they once they actually get to Montauk and they actually they, you see the actual first meeting that they have is a great scene too. Where some good calamari in Montauk. Yeah, because Montauk is kind of like we where we live in Boston, like Cape Cod. Like Montauk is kind of like the Cape Cod of of New York. Mm. From is what I of Long Island Sound. I think so. Um, but like the whole scene where <laughs> I love the moment where Carrie 
is trying to carry the cooler and she's like kind of slowly I know, falling I know, over. I know. And like David Cross's character just isn't paying attention. Uh-huh. He's just getting yeah. his fucking uh I know. It is his, funny. His his uh, um con- remote remote controlled um plane mm. and he's not paying attention when she just falls over. Um but when they're there like the kind of the narration of when he first sees her on the beach, you know, and oh, there's look at her, like how cool, orange sweatshirt, and then he's like, you sat down next to me and you said, you can eat that chicken, and you didn't even wait for an answer, you just picked it off my plate and ate it. Mm-hmm. It was so intimate. It was like, like we're already, already lovers, yeah. you know. It's such, and then when she's when you know her obviously being partly him mm. is saying this is it this is the last memory that's left like mm. what do you want to do and it's I know, like and then it's sad let's just that, enjoy that it. house on the beach and she's like well at least make up a goodbye then pretend we had one yeah you know and that's the, the moment apart and that yeah and that's so beautiful too like when he's in the house and the house is flooding and he's well you know what's funny too the part like i mean there's parts of it like to sound um self-servingly about the things that i think are like me or whatever but like where she breaks into that house in the first place and it's like you know David and Ruth Laskin. I prefer to be Ruth, but I can be flexible. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, all that stuff kind of reminds me of me a little bit, like breaking into someone's and house Joel and stealing reminds me of me. I would totally do I that. I would be the one that would be Could like. Could you see me doing something absolutely. like that? Absolutely. Uh, I've kind of done things and like I that. Would be, and I would be the one being like, we shouldn't be doing this. We need to leave. Stop it. So it's like, and then it's like, he almost ran away that night. And I almost did. Well, why? Because you said go with such disdain in your voice. And like, yeah, it could have been this close to not happening. And. I should get back with Naomi. She was nice and safe, you know? And, like, it's like, of course you shouldn't get back with Naomi because she's not your fire, what keeps you alive, I yeah. guess. But, um... Well, that's the thing. And that and the other thing that I love, I love, the, you know, the, I think the ending of the movie is so perfect for this movie because... It, so, in the end, obviously, um, there's the revelation that Kirsten Dunst's character has, has had an affair with um, Tom Wilkinson's character. Mm-hmm. And she eventually learns that she had that memory erased mm. and then realizes the gravity of like, oh, my God, this the repercussions is, of it. you know, that 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 I still feel the same way and I just don't have this memory. And then she returns everyone's file to them so that Joel and Clementine mm-hmm. both learn, OK, we both had a relationship before mm. this and we've erased each other. And they have these crazy tapes where, you know, she's listening to he's listening to her first talking about like, oh, that sad, wounded puppy dog bullshit that he does. Mm-hmm. And he's like, like how the I'm f- always pissy when I'm How the fuck him. do you know that about me? We just met. Like, this is crazy. Hey, I just met you. This is crazy. And then when You're she obviously comes... obviously fucking with me. When she comes to the house and it's the whole thing where it's like, oh, she didn't read books. She read magazines. She said library instead of library. Mm-hmm. Library, you know. And they, they have... They have each other's number. Like they they know each but other yeah, so well. But in the end, in the end, you know, once they realize that we've already been down this path and we chose to have each other erased and this is fucked up and it doesn't make any sense. In the end, when she's ready to walk away and he's like, wait a second, wait a second. And she's telling him like, this is what's going to happen. You're going to. You know, I'm going to get bored with you and you're going to get frustrated with me. And this is what's going to happen. And he's like, "Okay, okay." it's like I would rather I'd rather have this memory. I'd rather us crash and burn than have forgotten about it. Mm -hmm. So that last shot at the end of the movie where it's them running in the snow and it Mm -hmm. jump cuts and repeats and jump cuts and repeats. It's like it's such a great ending of like they're willing to do this again because 
this is it's more important, like you said, to have loved and lost than never yeah, to have loved at all. Of course. And in the original screenplay, uh, from what I what I've read in the original screenplay, um, I think what happened was um, they're like older; they're like in their fifties or sixties. And they're having the procedure done for like the seventh or eighth oh time. And the way that the movie originally ended is you see all the whole, like they're looking at the scanner and you see all the holes in their That's brain. And you see um, the, like Joel is calling Clementine to be like, I'm sorry, let's make up. And then uh, Lacuna is erasing the message on the answering machine. So in the end, you know, they may not get together. They may not stay together. And it's not necessarily a happy ending, but it's the right ending. It's the way that, you know, if you, your memories are all you have. You know, once you lose your memories, it's like there's nothing left of you. That's your foundation. Right. That's what makes you who you are, mm. you know. Nostalgia, the pain from an old wound. Yeah. Um, another line I like in the movie is where <laughs> she's just lost her mind, like, and she's just, completely done with the Patrick character whatever and it's like she goes to the house and Get he's like Clem exactly thank you can I say the line here Clem please can we just talk no get the fuck away <laughs> just the way she says it there's so many like really like super it's a birthmark oh, that's a great uh, oh, one oh you know that's a great one yeah I. she has a lot of funny little lines like oh, I, those eye drops are getting into your shit <laughs> you know it's probably the best I think honestly the best I'm just gonna see us all half baked and oh god that sounds so good right now <laughs> I think I think all of the like Mark Ruffalo um, and that's actually I actually really uh, I don't know I just said that I feel I feel so bad for Mark Ruffalo at the end of the movie when he because he really he He's really he really cared so much for Kirsten Dunn's character and you know she's mad at him at the end like did you know that this is what happened between me and Mirzwiak did you ever even have an inkling yes once maybe you were standing by his car and how'd I see him you seemed happy with a secret. You know, and he gives her, like, he gives her back her purse and he's like, I really like you, Mary Spavo. Mm. Elijah Wood's character is one of the most fascinating characters in this entire movie. Let's be fucking real here. Because Patrick, he is, he is such a pathetic, he's one of those guys who obviously he never had a girlfriend in real life. He has no idea how Got to, no game. has no idea how to ingratiate himself to people. And I think the saddest kind of part of his character is that he literally is a panty has to use, But he has to use somebody else's memories to get to her. Like, you can't even, like, forge Isn't that your terrible? Own, like, I know, of course it is. He's such a fraud, Come but on, thank man, God. man, you stole a pair of the girl's panties. And they start laughing. Well, they were clean and all. <laughs> I would sure hope so. That was the, I actually think that was, like, one of the coolest parts of the movie because it's, like, you can tell that when when they break, when Mark Ruffalo and Elijah Wood are laughing in that scene, that that's, really that's probably, like, like a a blooper or a gag reel scene that they found a way to stick into the movie. They do that a lot in movies. Like yeah. even like the, um, you know, the right, famous, it's a genuine moment, the it's famous, authentic. the famous scene from usual suspects where they're all laughing on the, when they're on the, um, the police lineup. Yeah. When they're on the lineup and it's the whole thing where it's like, you know, repeat the line. Give me the keys. You fucking cocksucker. Give me the fucking keys. You fucking cocksucker. Motherfucker. <laughs> And then, and then it's, and then it's uh, Benicio Del Toso. Give me a fucking kid. And it's like, and they're all laughing. And, and I remember reading that the editor was like, you guys didn't do a single take where, where they weren't breaking. But he found a way to be like, oh, if I edit this into the movie, all of a sudden, 
like these characters will be more endearing. Yeah, of course. To the audience. So I guarantee that that moment where he's like, you stole the girl's panties and they're fucking cracking. (laughs) They crack it up. (laughs) It just all of a sudden makes it hilarious. But then later he says. I feeling Mary doesn't like me. She likes you. Yeah. Maybe he didn't steal their fucking panties. I know. (laughs) The only other thing I want to bring up real quick, just as another high, I think it's, I think it's worth noting the cinematography uh, Ellen Kuras, uh, I hope I'm saying her name right. She she's a fantastic um, DP. She's worked with Mary Harron, who's a great director, American directed Psycho. one of our favorite movies, American, American Psycho. Psycho. Um, so she she shot I shot Andy Warhol. She's also worked with Spike Lee. She shot Giz is um, making her cameo. Giz is Giz is over here. Um, she shot with um, Spike Lee. He got game in Summer of Sam, and she also shot Sam Mendes' uh, Away We Go. So. She's a she works with great directors. She's a fantastic DP. Sam Mendes did Away We Go. Yeah, oh. and a, and I love that movie too. That's another great film. He also did Nineteen Seventeen. Nineteen Seventeen did that. American Beauty. Did um, Revolutionary Road, which is another another great movie about real relationships. Um, but one of the things that I just I just I think is so great about the cinematography. I think this movie l- looks beautiful, and part of that is of course due to Michelle Gondry. But I think Ellen Curris, who shot the film. She's a lot. So much of the film, I think, almost the majority of the film is is shot handheld, and I think that the handheld cinematography gives it this like very documentary feel. It feels very like we're peering into the real lives mm-hmm. of these people. Um, if this movie had been shot on a tripod or with more stabilization right. or on sliders or on gimbals, I don't it think it would have. Yeah, the 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 handheld feel to it really Brought enhances it and like it. makes yeah. it feel lived in and really I agree real. With that. So I just think that the, you know, it's, it's worth pointing out and it's also worth pointing out there's not enough fucking women DPs out there just based off her, off her list here. She's like one of the best out there. Mm. So that's worth pointing out. All right. Are there any lows? So I had a really struggle. I had a real, cause as far as I'm concerned, this is like basically a near perfect I'm still movie. curious what your lows were. Yeah. You, you did. You were mad cause I wrote so my lows. Just I didn't tell chase. you. Um, I only had one low. And this is like super, super, super nitpicky. nitpicky. I know you said that. There's the only thing you would say about it. So what is it? Because this is like you having to drag just the say. earth. So I'm going to just keep talking. This is like, <laughs> it's pissing you off that I'm just not saying Wicked it. Bad. The only low I have for this movie is I think that the dialogue in this movie is one of, again, the script, the screenplay is fantastic. I think the dialogue in this movie is so on point and so great. There's one line in this movie that always kind of drove me a little bit crazy just because it feels like it's from another film. Um, It's a scene in the movie when he's having a memory of them eating at a Chinese restaurant and he's like, dinner at King's again. And he's like lamenting about, are we like those bored couples that people feel sorry for? Are we the dining dead? And that line, I always thought was kind of a hacky line. I it thought doesn't, you liked that line. No, it just kind of, I don't, it, it's very hacky. It feels like it's from another movie. It feels like, but at the same time, at the same time, it, what it does set up is what I think is one of the funniest lines in the movie. A great line, which is when then she takes a sip of her beer and he's like, oh, she's going to be drunk and stupid again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, again, this is like me literally like searching for something to to call a low. I don't know. Yeah. Are we I, the I definitely feel dead? like it's a stretch because when you think about where they're at in their relationship, even at that point, it's like, you know, it's, it's past all the cute, 
adorable the scene's shit. It's great. like the scene's I great. can't stand you and you can't stand me. Mind washing the goddamn hair off yes. the show up in the shower. It's repulsive. Yeah. He's using the chopstick to pull the hair out of her face. She kinda looks at him like, Yeah, thanks. Like, get your fucking chopstick <laughs> out of my face. Like there's so much animosity. And of course, so why true. wouldn't it be the dad? like I, we know what that feels like to not maybe always be getting along the best in a public place and you probably look like yeah. that. And the what would the perception be? Not that you should care what people think, but I bet the perception would be like Wow, those people look kind of... It seems like the type of line that somebody recommended. It doesn't seem like the type of line that Charlie Kaufman wrote into the script. It seems like the type of line that was like someone's executive's wife thought that was a cute line and that got into the movie. You know what I'm saying? And and again, like super nitpicky. It's not not really even a low. It's just one of those things where... I I, there's there's so many things about this. I, there's there's nothing to complain about this movie. This movie's fucking perfect. It's beautiful. I always thought you liked that line. I never liked that line. I always thought I that feel like line you've was quoted it before. Because it's such a, it's such a. Um, it stands out as such a hacky line. To you, you know, it, it's you know, you complete me. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. And even that line's not as bad. That line is actually that your makes, only love of the movie. It, it's literally it's that was me searching for something to okay. complain about. Well. My lows, I guess there's more than one, but it has nothing to you do with... You have more than one low? Well, because it's... I have two, but it's because they were examples of my low of this movie, ultimately, which is that it's been ripped off so many times. So again, it's through no yeah. fault of it, the movie. It's imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I mean, it's it's been aped and ripped off and it tried the formulas and things in the movie that worked have been redone in other movies people yeah. try to pass it off like it's something that is new and original it's like no I've saw Eternal Sunshine like you didn't just reinvent the wheel on that but in particular like the scene where they're talking under the blankets and stuff you've seen that in other movies and TV shows and stuff um, the laying on their back on the ice looking up at the sky which is I, a I remember great in Hot Tub Time Machine shot. it's like there's literally a scene there's other movies that, and stuff that do that right. I think those were actually the two those were the two shots I wrote down but I, I'm sure there's other things in the movie um if I really think about it, that I can be like, oh yeah, they did this in that movie too, and just no, I I understand what you're saying, and it's and that I think I think the unfortunate thing like about or even like the whimsicality of it, like you said, Blue Valentine, definitely derivative, like but you Blue know, Val- I'm I'm just playing my ukulele on the sidewalk and she's dancing and it's just so random and look how quirky and whimsical <laughs> Come we are. Come on, don't look say at that. you. I'm just saying, it's don't like say that, but it's trying to do that. It's trying to capture the essence of yeah. Okay, okay. You know what? You know what? I'll this is what's fair about that. What's fair about that is that yes. Um hold on a second though. Don't you think that when you're when you're first falling in love there is a, a level of kind of like um sentimental bullshit that there's okay. a level of there's a level of like to different degrees everything's of adorable everything is so funny and beautiful and like what you were saying like what you were just saying before when like when he's trying to pull her hair out of her face with the chopsticks and she's like fuck you like she she's looking fa- at she him makes like, a face like thanks you know, can you take your fucking can you get the hair off the goddamn soap like there is a level of like after a certain point you're kind of through. All the cutesiness is over. But there's a point before that where almost er- like the same thing. If he had done that, everything is. If cute. he had done that thing with with the chopsticks, like shooting like in the in the yeah exactly, <laughs> it would have been something adorable. It would have been something you know. I'm so, gonna fight your chopsticks. <laughs> so it's like there's there's a level of there's a there's kind of a level of if you if you think about it, when you're falling in love the things that you end up hating about a person or or um, being st- stressed out about a person 
later, it's almost the same thing. It's yeah. not even. It's not all of a sudden things that were cute are so annoying, right? Like I it, fucking hate. What was you. the joke? The whole thing about the way she eats broccoli. The whole thing, the Sebastian Maniscalco joke, like. She eats broccoli. We she fucking eats broccoli. Like yeah. the thing that he loved about her is the thing that he can't fucking stand know. about her after. I know. It's I know. really true. It's a yeah. real thing. Yeah. Blue Valentine. Yeah. Blue Valentine is a is a. I love that movie, and actually, a thing that I. I'm love, not saying the whole movie is like that, but there's flavors and essences that are captured, yeah. Yeah. and it feels like they're derivative of this film. And I yeah. could be wrong. You're not wrong. Not You're be. absolutely not. It's wrong. It's an opinion, but who who's to say that? Those were the direct influences. That's the thing about being a landmark movie. The The curse of a landmark movie is that once you do it this well, everyone has to copy you. To my sensibilities, this is like one of the most original movies you can watch about love because the originality of it comes from the idea of exploring someone's memory. The idea of like, once you realize that your memory is all that you are, mm. It, it becomes is. so fragile. It becomes it's so your spirit. It's your soul. Fragile. It's just it's like it's not the body that's the most valuable thing. That's I mean, why. That's why something like Alzheimer's to me is the saddest thing that can scary. happen to you. It's that you lose yourself. You literally don't have access yeah. to all of the things that are that, that made you who you were. You know that that stupid Google. Um, not even stupid, that Google commercial oh, during the yeah. Super Bowl, yeah. you know, where it's like, I want to remember man. all the things about her that I loved. I know. You know, that's that's fucking I know. painful. I think everybody was getting a little misty after watching. Yeah, that. that's that's a that's that's really that's really intense. You know, the best thing I can say for this movie, or at least how I feel about it, is that it it's a real depiction of a real relationship and it's also a real depiction of what is most important to a relationship mm-hmm. which is that the highs and the lows the sweet and the sour the 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 moments that were great and the moments that were awful are in equal you want measure the good, you want the bad yeah. you want the beautiful and you want the ugly you want, you want them both and there you have my opening statement sit Uber, my sit. funny valentine my sweet comic valentine you make me smile with my heart your looks are laughable, unphotographable. That's true. Yet, you're my favorite work of art. Is your figure less than Greek? Is your is your mouth a little weak? When you open it to speak, are you smart? Or are you meek? Hmm. I just made that up. Just saying, like the idea of what that song is about is kind of like that. Just loving everything about a person. Yeah. Not just the beautiful. Obviously. There's a great line Chris Rock says: "You got to love the crust of a motherfucker." Right. You do. Or at least bear it. Oh, I love this movie, and I love you. Je t'aime, mon chéri. That's all I know. Um, bonjour. Bonjour. That's that's my Don Draper of... Uh, Marie. Au revoir. <laughs> bonjour. We're going to do the coin toss. Um, again, Just always... Just don't toss my salad. Always uh, don't toss your salad. <laughs> um, see, now... See, you know what's fucked up? All right. First of all, can you behave like I a human I was being? Um, first of all, now I feel like we're ready to start podcasting. No, now I feel like I'm ready for bed. So let's wrap this up. <laughs> this is when I'm actually warmed up. Um, well, too bad. We need to do an hour of podcasting to get ready to do podcasting. No, I don't agree with that at all. I think we actually know good up to this point. I think you just overthink everything. <sighs> That's probably true. Um, all right. So 
we're gonna do we're gonna do the coin toss. But again, uh, always as always, thank you for your suggestions, and please continue to write into moviehilo at gmail.com. Let us know your high and low recommendations, and of course, always please uh, explain a little bit about why you think it's a high or a low film. So. If it's good or if it's bad, tell us why it's good or if it's bad. The good, so bad, can, and the ugly. Yeah, we want to know it all. We agreed it's for the best, Mary. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's do the flip. Tails. It's tails. All right. So we're going to go ahead and pick what has been rated one of the worst movies of 2019 uh, with the Jacob's Ladder remake. Um this one in particular is very personal to me because Jacob's Ladder is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And uh, I'm actually interested. I've not seen the remake. I've just only heard terrible things. But I'm willing to go in with an open mind because I love Jacob's Ladder. And, you know, perhaps even if it's a low episode, we can enjoy it. But um, I got a feeling that it's very unnecessary yeah, and not something yeah. that ever needed to happen. So... Be happy to be wrong about that, but I mean, yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> right. Well, thank you for joining us on this latest episode of movie, Hi- this latest installment of Movie Hilo. Thank you for joining us on this latest installment of Movie Hilo, discussing the best and worst of what cinema have to offer. Santa's overrated. It's just tiny little rocks. Indeed. Bye, everybody. <laughs> You're not a stalker or anything, right? I'm not a stalker. You're the one that talked to me, remember? That is the oldest trick in the stalker book. Really? There's a stalker book. Mm-hmm. Okay. I gotta read that one.